Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufert. Today I'm speaking with Nebo Radovich and David Philipson. Nebo is a very well-respected advertising specialist and thought leader with a wealth of experience at companies such as Nordius, MZ, and Network. And David is an ad tech executive who co-founded and serves as a CEO of Dataseat, a mobile DSP, and who previously co-founded Adex, one of the first mobile attribution companies that was ultimately acquired by Criteo. Today, I speak with Nebo and David about what the near-term future of mobile advertising looks like, how, over the next 6 to 18 months, the landscape of mobile advertising evolves as a result of iOS 14 and the deprecation of the IDFA. How do marketers' workflows change? How is demand for various media sources impacted? And how advertising teams are reorganized to adapt to the new environment? Please enjoy this conversation with Nebo Radovich and David Philipson. David, Nebo, so happy to be chatting with you guys today. Good to be here. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having us. So um, we, just, uh, we just did a little bit of uh, coordination and it turns out that you two have never met, um, although you have many, many friends in common. So I'm, I'm happy to be uh, I'm happy to be the the reason you are connecting today. Um, but I, I think it's it's great to have you both on because um, you know we've got uh, probably two of the most sort of seasoned mobile acquisition veterans uh, in the industry. Uh, you're calling us old, Eric. That's what you, well, that's what you mean. The, the, the oldest guys in the room. Uh, yes. Thank you know, you. You, you, that's a glass uh, half-empty take on my uh, on my statement. But but no, I I think um, I I'm just really happy to have you know so much expertise kind of concentrated in in the guests today, um, and I'm really happy to to kind of dive into this topic because I think um, you know it's something that you know everyone is sort of like very anxiously thinking about without a whole lot of guidance. Right. So, um, you know, this sort of subject of discussion today is kind of what is the near term future of mobile advertising? Right. Like if we think about what changes like and what kind of very practical things change in the next six to 18 months, I'd like for us to talk about that today. But maybe before we get into that, um, do a quick round of introductions. Nebo, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience who doesn't know you, which is probably kind of a very small percentage? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, Known as Nebo, my full name is Nebo Sharadovic. Uh, my last uh, uh, job was at, at uh, Network, where I was a uh, growth lead uh, on the NSP platform. Um, uh, last week was was my last week at Network, and now I'm just a fun employed. Um, taking a well-deserved break, let's put it that way. Uh, before that, I was in Machine Zone, um, and before that at Nordius, all pretty big mobile gaming companies at the time. Um, so I've been doing this for like... Uh, eight years like just mobile uh advertising um so yeah that's me cool thanks Nebo. Um, uh, my name's david philipson i'm the ceo and uh, co-founder of a business called dataseat uh, dataseat is a in-house bidder or dsp you know so technology is similar but we're taking the capabilities to advertisers that want to in-house their programmatic which could be more relevant than ever considering ios 14. uh prior to that um, I mean, I've run and started different startups, but one that some of your audience will be familiar with was Addicts Tracking, which was one of the earlier MMPs that we started in 2010. Um, for our sins, we sold that to a business called Critio uh, in 2013, and then I joined Critio to build their in-app business. So strong understanding of attribution and programmatic. 
Great. And I think just to kind of kick things off, um, I want to I want to start from the kind of team structure uh, perspective. Right. So if we think about and I, I don't you know, we don't need to I don't want to I don't want to give a lot of background on iOS 14. I think most people listening to this are very aware of, of what the changes are um, and what that kind of entails. So I'd, let's let's kind of skip ahead to the more interesting bit, um, which is just like, what does a UA team look like in 2021? I think my, just to just to kind of preface that, I think my sense, and um, you know, this is kind of validated by stuff I've worked on, um, and just the, the sort of general tone of of how I've seen um, you know the bigger platforms uh, be, spe- be speaking about you know the products that they wanted to bring to market. Is that my sense was that you know mobile advertising was moving into a very sort of like automated direction, um, and then you know kind of I've got my own opinions about this. I'd like to hear from you you, you both first. Uh, how does that get accelerated here, or does that does that uh, get slowed down? Like, do, slowed down? Do we do we do we see like a further push, a more accelerated push in automation, or do we see people actually going back to a more uh, manual approach? It's a great question. I want to let Nebo's got more experience of these internal yeah. UA things than I do, so I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, and I'll of course yeah. follow. Okay, I thought I thought a lot about this, and and the way I would kind of frame this is, okay, what's going to happen, or what's the day one going to look like once we're like don't have IDFA anymore, um, and I feel like what's what most teams will do, they'll just focus on one channel, and then they'll slowly add more channels and and try to figure out what what's going on. So um, uh, and and because of this, you know, like you know, the trend towards automation will continue. Like people will probably focus on like Facebook and, and Google because those are the biggest and the most impactful channels. And these two will uh, will will definitely you know continue building their tools. But if things get extremely complicated when it comes to measurement and there is like a lot of kind of double attribution from Google and Facebook. I feel like you know we might need to kind of go back to square one and figure out what's the right way to to measure things and what's the right way to buy and whether like automation is actually helping or, or like being you know having like slightly more manual approach uh, will be uh, more helpful. So this is something that I I don't like I, I don't think anyone fully understands until we actually start buying in this like post IDFA world. But there might be like a for at least like a short period of time like uh, there might be a slowdown when it comes to automation just until people are like you know teams understand what's going on what's the most efficient way to buy um and and as a result of that i feel like the the initial few months will be there'll be a lot of work on the data science side and and kind of like ua might go like might become more similar to what was the case in 2015 more, more of a like technical ua finding the right kind of pockets of traffic finding the right ways to optimize so you can get most of the SKA network and for that you kind of need more of a technical talent and and need more to do like more manual work than necessarily automation and then once all those things are kind of known then you can kind of double down automation and figure out how to how to like leverage technology to to buy more efficiently um that's my that's my guess uh it's really really hard to say what it's going to look like but i feel like that's that's what the first few months um after the uh you know uh after the post idfa world um you know Uh, so what do you guys think I, I first of all, I agree with you. And you're, you're far more knowledgeable about running internal UA teams than, than, than I am. And unfortunately, I'm going to just have more questions than I am going to have answers for for you guys and your audience. But before I go into my questions and all the uncertainties that I think we're we're, we're facing, I, I 
I completely agree. If you look at since 2015, you know, things are becoming more and more automated, whether it's uh, budget allocation per channel or CPI bids, you know, per publisher, you know, with a specific ad network. But all of that, all of it is, well, certainly the majority of it is dependent on granular, you know, detailed attribution level, right down to that impression level, right to which creative. Now, that's all changing. You know, Apple's intent is for all parties to be less sophisticated about what Apple users are doing where and when. So I think a major thing that's going to come out of this is actually the, the whole world, the, the, you know, the, the iOS UA efforts. We're almost going to go back in time. You know, if, if granular huge amounts of data were driving automation, well, a lot of that's going to be you know, taken away from us. So, so you know, where things were looking 2015 and prior, you know, direct deals. You know, if you haven't got this granular, you know, you know, kind of data uh, that allows you to automate, but you know that publisher drives you quality users in general, you know, do you go and do a direct deal with that publisher? You know, so I think that will be a, a, one of the themes that uh, certainly increases over time. But there's all, there's also other huge implications. Now I know reengagement uh, isn't a big, isn't a huge part, but it's certainly a, a part to a lot of people's marketing. Um, re-engagement across promo you know do, do, does the whole re-engagement efforts go I mean my answer is yes you know so if there was a team dedicated to iOS re-engagement they'll probably be reallocated to you know some of the other areas that Nebo quite rightly uh, quite rightly pointed out um, there's also another thing that I've been wondering as an in-house bidder we compete against other managed service DSPs and ad networks that typically sell on a CPI uh, one of the things I've been asking myself is that whole CPI business model you know, going to go away. Um, if I was a provider of a CPI business model, which is an arbitrage business model, if you haven't got a suppression list, you know, you, you, you can't do it. You know, if an arbitrage business model only exists when you, you know, when you can be efficient, right? And we're going to become a lot, a, a lot less efficient. Um, again, I'm not being negative, but I'm just highlighting some of the unknowns, and I have uh, m many others, but they'll probably come up in some of your uh, some of your other questions, Eric. Well, I, it's the, I mean, that's the thing. I think it's not about being negative, right? I mean, there's no there's no kind of negative, or there's no like sort of uh, uh, you know cynical or kind of um, optimistic take here. It's just you know facing the reality. I think what the pro the problem with this whole thing has always been that it's not so much the change, right? Cause the change is not like an insurmountable or, or let's say that, that, that the, the sort of re the realignment uh, around that's taking place within measurement is not like an insurmountable challenge. Like you can do measurement without an IDFA. The problem has always been that the infrastructure is all built for the IDFA, right? And so it's, it's not so much that like, well, you can't do any measurement now because there's no IDFA, you can, and, and we will. Um, it's just that everything needs to be reconstructed, right? Down to the studs. This is like, you know, you're you're transitioning from a gas-powered engine to an electric engine or something. There's not just like a couple, a couple cables that get uh, rejiggered, right? You're having to like rebuild the entire engine. Um, and so I think that's that's the issue here. So like, I think everyone, everyone's immediate take is kind of negative because, you know, well, this is just a lot of work. Right. And now there's reasons to be optimistic. And those are but the, but those reasons only sort of manifest after the work has been done. Right. Like probably net net. This is better for everybody. Right. Because there was always it was always sort of untenable to be using IDFA as like the main sort of like um, component of tracking and attribution was like fundamentally broken, I think. Um, and so this is we're moving into a much more sustainable kind of um, just e ecosystem. But I think there's just so much work to be done. And I, I think that's also part of the reason why all from from my you know 
kind of standpoint, which is I just I just see a lot of companies and I see what a lot of companies are doing. Everyone has stopped all kind of automation efforts, right? Because we just don't know. I mean, it's not even it's not even about I don't know if automation can work. I mean, automation will work to do specific things, you know, in like let's say two years time, but we don't know what we can even automate now because there's so much um, confusion and lack of clarity around what the platform is going to be offering, right? Like we don't even know right now Facebook marketing partner API is that going to work when ATT goes mandatory, right? We just have no idea because Facebook hasn't made that clear. So I think in, in the immediate term, yeah, all, all automation efforts are just paused, right? Because we just don't even know what we're going to be able to plug into. My sense is that what automation looks like is more around the kind of analysis layer and the automation of that kind of higher level budget distribution stuff that people weren't necessarily thinking about because you were just going, hey, at the user level, was this profitable, right? And not thinking about like, hey, at the kind of format layer or, you know, at the, um, at the, the channel level, how do I best optimize my budget distribution? Because people would just say, I mean, a lot of marketing teams would just say this, I spend until it's not profitable anymore. I, my budget is whatever, whatever I can spend so long as it's profitable at that unit level. What do you think about that? Is that Nebo? Is that kind of consistent with what with your experience here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I 100% agree with you when it comes to automation. It's just like uh, there's always going to be like a need to understand, you know, what are the kind of best performing campaigns and how you can automate them or, or just like optimize them in a more efficient way. Uh, maybe there won't be like a direct um, connection between like marketing APIs and and what, you know, what that automation or, you know, recommendation engine kind of provides, but there, there's always going to be a need to kind of improve the efficiency of teams. It just will have to wait for six or maybe like a six months or to a year to understand what can be automated. Uh, there are also some things that where automation might not make any sense, at least in the short term, like creative automation. Like given that we get very little, very little kind of creative level data or information when it comes to, from SKA network, you know, the question is whether can you really deploy like a hundred creatives and make educated decisions on how well they perform. Um, uh, and can you do that at like a click-through rate level and not necessarily at the IPM level? You said, because you won't, you won't get, you know, install level data or like specific or precise install, install data from SK network. So, so there's like a lot of, a lot of unknowns, but there are some things that, you know, again, as you mentioned, we know for sure, which is at least in the short term, uh, these things won't make any sense. And I think it's bet time is better spent if like data science teams focus focus on, you know, understanding where the value comes from. And then, you know, once once they have a good understanding of that, uh, start building, you know, uh, tools and, and systems for automating these things. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Neva, but I'll just add a, an additional point I've been thinking about because it, it, basically we try and automate everything. Um, and, and whenever you talk about automation, you know, you're thinking machines doing things in a far more sophisticated way than us humans can, or at just far, far greater scale, right? And, and, and is that, that to achieve those things, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to do it better at a better scale, it relies on you know, the essence of getting real-time performance data back. And, and I'll give an example, focusing you know, into the SKA uh, conversions that will be sent back, this whole delay thing, has a you know when you you know the countdown time starts with 24 hours if there's another event you know it creates a, an, another delay all of this has a implication to automation and i'll give you an example you know if you're trying to automate to a publisher that's performing you know usually within hours you can see ipms and click through rates and installs and you know down funnel events well with it with the delay you know you you 
can you automate? Yes, but you've got to kind of, you know, give give it some time. I'll give you an example, you know, a publisher that's got one install and terrible IP, IPM. Well, you may need to wait 24 or 48, even 72 hours to start seeing those day one, uh, you know, uh, you know, confirmations come through. You know, so what you could automate, um, you, you know, within within minutes or hours of a campaign going live to identify that's a great publisher can now take uh, can now take far longer. So that's something that any team that's automating anything will have to bear in mind. So you're just going to have to give the machines more time before you make uh, decisions and conclusions. Um, and another thing on a similar topic, and again, it's me asking more questions than than, than, than giving answers. But uh, and, and when, with all of the gaming developers that I speak to, you know, one of the topics that you know we're fascinated in is the conversion value, the six-bit conversion value. And it seems to, to me that the whole industry is waiting for Facebook to tell us, uh, you know, how how should these six-bit uh, conversion values be configured? Because at the moment, I'm speaking and working with all of my customers, and they don't know; they haven't made the decision. So, you know, we've got these confirmations for automation that will be delayed, and at the moment, we still don't even know. Um, you know what, what what they'll mean, or or, or how do we interpret those six bit uh, conversion values? Now, the, 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 these aren't like negative points; they're just points that I'm looking forward to being concluded. And uh, I know Eric, it's something you've written about a lot, and um, you know about the six bit conversion value. But I, I, I'm looking forward to that becoming a standard, right? Because then all yeah. these automation technologies and teams behind it at least have a consistent um, you know data to to, to run. Yeah, I mean. I you know, I've, I've talking to, I've spoken to some people at, um, at Facebook about this and, you know, on the one hand, you know, they have a good point, which is, look, you know, we, we can only do so much. We're one platform, right? I mean, there's a real collision issue with the update conversion value method because anybody can call it right. And anybody can sort of overwrite that value. Um, and so we can publish our, um, we can publish our guidance here, but it doesn't really matter because any other company could publish different guidance. And then you've got different uh um sdks overriding the, the the conversion value and and we're just we're just sort of one participant in this scheme that hasn't been well thought out by apple and so apple needs to provide more guidance to everybody and then the other hand it's like come on your facebook right if you if you publish this guidance everybody will fall in line behind that now there's a question around google maybe they won't but um you know i think at the end of the day facebook has more sort of market power and market influence than just being like hey we're one advertising platform out of many um and yeah that is kind of frustrating because you know all the the all the benefit right that was gained by the delay is kind of just slipping through our fingers right now. I mean, we don't have that much time left. It's already November. Um, you know, we might know who the U.S. president is before we have uh, you know before we have guidance around uh, around uh, the SK ad network implementations at the platform levels, which is frustrating, right? And I think you know it'd be nice if um, these big companies could work together a little bit more. But obviously, the reason they're not is that this was a hostile maneuver by Apple, right? I mean, this wasn't uh, just a decision they made to kind of improve efficiency in the ecosystem. This was a, this a decision they made as like an almost declaration of war, right? And so for that reason, they're not making it easy for these platforms to fall in line. And for that reason, Facebook doesn't want to, um, isn't motivated to provide more guidance. They're in a standoff, I think. They're in, they're in a game of chicken. But actually, I want to kind of uh, plant a flag in something you said, David, because we talked about it before. So like part of the problem and part of the reason that this kind of uh, this sort of like upgrading the machinery issue 
is so important is like if you think about a normal model, right? If you think about a normal sort of like optimization model, you're getting these 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 this feedback loop. There's this feedback that's coming, and the faster the feedback, you know, the shorter the feedback loop, the better the mod, the, the faster the model can be optimized. Well, now not only is the feedback loop sort of extending the timeline between you know filling an impression and getting some kind of signal around whether that was you know a good good impression or not. Not only is that extending, but you're also creating an opportunity for more sort of like type one error, right? You're, you're creating the opportunity for more like signals that are actually really bad. Could you, could you walk us through that? Like, so it's, it's just, I kind of want to, I think it's important to talk about this, um, how, how this change is actually not, it's not just about the delay. It's about the opportunity for just more of, you know, incorrect signals to be impl influencing the model in, in, a, in a bad way. Yeah, and, and absolutely. But, but to do so, we need to understand some of the limitations of, of, of SKA. Now, now a, a good thing about an SKA postback, it does include the source publisher ID. Now, this is a real big deal because when uh, uh, Apple first released uh, SKA 2.0, it didn't in the documentation. It did not. You know, so three or four weeks later, they include that it include source publisher ID, which is a good thing because if you actually just just to just to interject really quickly. So that wasn't actually even working until this week or last week, right? Yeah. So the 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 2.0, um, uh, the, the sort of 2.0 version of SK Ad Network, which in, which or was meant to include those two fields, the conversion value and the publisher ID, the source publisher ID, it wasn't working. Like none yeah. of the ad networks were even getting those fields back, and they've only started getting fully formed postbacks last week, the end of last week. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is how you know this is how far we are, I think, from like prime time ready. But anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, please, no, no, I, 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 I agree with you enough. We, we've been experimenting and testing with Apple SK and we've seen exactly the same thing. But and the fact it's there gives me hope, right? And actually, we're now all seeing it being populated. So, but from any optimization perspective, that is a real big deal because it means any postback that you get, you know which publisher, um, you know, which, which, which publisher converted. Now, we all know that it's more than just publisher. Publisher is a, is, is a very big deal. But what you're talking about is, you know, how do we learn, well, what other variables are, are, are leading to performance? Now, in the past with IDFA or even fingerprinting, ad networks, DSPs, even Facebook, would always be able to go back to which impression led to that conversion. That isn't happening anymore. We'll know which publisher led to the conversion. And then Apple have imposed this limitation on all ad networks and DSPs, which is referred to as the 100 integer. Now, advertisers, uh, that want to in-house programmatic will have to get sophisticated about how you use the integer. Uh, equally, even if you're working with an ad network, that ad network will have to be sophisticated about how you use the integer. Because yes, you get the publisher back, but then you have to use this very limited variable to find out, to find out well, what device type is performing best for me. You know, what, is Wi-Fi over operator traffic performing best for me? You know, what day of the week, which time of the day? Now, you can't do all of those variables you know so actually what will happen is that you know smart advertisers will have to start choosing well what are the most important uh you know contextual variables day of the week time of day publisher wi-fi operator what are the most important to me that drive performance and then bake those um into the integer you know so when you get a post back saying that you know what a you know flappy birds voodoo yes led to the download um, you then want to know, well, all right, what, what creative was it? You know, was it vast landscape rewarded? You know, so you're going to have to get sophisticated about how you get those posts back. But, but the limitation, to be clear, forces a less sophisticated method upon us all. Um, now, when you have less sophistication, you end up with waste. You know, you end up with serving impressions 
to far more people, uh, you know, to drive a download than you would have had if, you know, if you could have fine-tuned and optimized right down to those that you know like to click on hyper-casual games and download them. But so there is more waste in a contextual world. Um, you know, there is. You end up serving more adverts to people than if you have a device graph and you knew, you know, who, who to serve the adverts to. So, um, so th there, there will be a trade-off, and I do actually believe there will be some advertisers that currently are cost-effective running UA um, that actually will figure out it's not cost-effective for them, to, uh, you know, to run UA. Um, but so, so there, there, there are lots of you know changes coming and and, and lots of lots of unknowns. Um, th th those that in invest in the best use of the six-bit value and the best use of the integer. Um, I find very few advertisers are talking about the best use of the integer because they really see that as the ad network's domain. Um, but if you just rely on the ad network, they're going to have one size fits all. So actually, this is an opportunity. You know, Nebo you know, referred to it, data scientists getting more into the detail. You know, if internally, if these UA teams get more into the detail of testing, is it an iPhone, you know, is it the, you know, 10, 11, 12 that gets best performance? Well, then you can make that one of your integer values. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so, so it's a complex topic. Yeah. But, but can, can, so one thing I think it, it, it'd be interesting for you to provide more clarity on here, because I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people kind of, um, well, I've just I've just heard a lot of misconceptions about this. How does this affect DSPs, right? Because if you think about the integer values, that that imposes like a pretty serious limitation on on programmatic buying, right? Could you walk us through that? Yeah, I, I, I can. A big topic. Interrupt me when you're done, because I could talk I could talk about this for for for, for, for hours. Um, all right. So, so 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 we are a DSP. You know, my business is a DSP, but there, there, there's many different flavors of DSP. The, the 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 biggest consideration is how are they bidding? Um, now, the majority, quite rightly, over the last five to ten years, the majority of of DSPs have have gathered data, you know, from all of their clients, you know, under the the, the headline of suppression lists, and it means they understand, um, you, you know, what devices have got what apps on it. If they run hundreds of campaigns for thousands of clients, they know what device IDs click on what type of adverts. All of this leads to what I refer to as behavioral-based bidding. You know, if, you, if, if you're running a you know, hyper-casual you know, campaign for someone, you, know, you already know what type of device IDs are, you know, are, are going to have higher IPMs. All, right. All of that is finished with, with iOS 14. All of that intelligence-based bidding on what you know about the device is done. Um, also, that dynamic also meant it was valid for an advertiser to work with multiple DSPs. At a headline level, it, it seems batshit crazy. I mean, you know, but is there any auction in the world you have multiple auctioneers? No, it just pushes up the price. But actually, what multiple DSPs were selling was different knowledge, different data sets. It's valid to work with multiple DSPs, multiple auctioneers, if they all know different things about different devices, which has led to the environment we're in today. So... How is this going to change? I mean, behavioral-based bidding is over. All you're left with is contextual. And actually, what I believe, it is then batshit crazy for an advertiser to run with multiple DSPs that are running contextual, you know, because you will just start bidding, mm. pushing up the, you know, your, own, your own bid price. Yeah. Um, so, so there are changes, definitely consolidation. In DSP world, you know, where you're, you're all plugged into the same, uh, you, know, you know, SSPs and exchanges, it does not make sense to work with multiple DSPs. So there's going to be a DSP war for sure. 
Um, SDK ad networks are, are, are different because, again, they've got some uniqueness. You know, what are you buying from Bungle, Unity, Upload, and Ansels? You're buying some of their you know, exclusive inventory. So that I'm mm -hmm. expecting to remain the same, but I'm expecting DSP uh, wars to uh, increase, let's say. Does that make sense? I'll happily go into more detail if you want. I'm just keeping it. No, that, that's, that's super helpful. I think what do you, because I mean, one, one kind of way I've thought about this is like that DSP war, right? I mean, I think clearly you know, there's, there's going to be a market resizing within that, that part of the, the ecosystem, but that war will also reduce the number of participants. Right. So, I mean, you could even, you could make the argument, right. That that makes, well, if you're a winner, right. If you're on the winning side of that war, that makes your company more valuable. Is that, I don't know, is that something that you're perceiving? Hope so. <laughs> I'm, I'm in that war and I'm fighting the fights, but, um, uh, and th th there, there are different DSPs that focus on, on different areas. If you look, look, look at the trade desk, it's a DSP. You know, even if you look at Beeswax, more of my direct competitor. They're, they're, they're broader. They're doing connected TV, cross-device, web. I think if you look at the mobile-specific DSPs, you know, that all of your, your gaming audience is familiar with, there'll be more of the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the cross-insoles, Maloko, uh, um, uh, liftoffs, you know, the, those. Um, I think what I'm predicting... And what Nebo, you know, also alluded to as, you know, the future of UA, I think advertisers are going to have this desire for more transparency, more control. You know, so really, I see the, you know, the, the kind of front line of the DSP war being between managed service and completely transparent in-house. Now, mm -hmm. clearly, I'm backing the horse, which is, I believe, advertisers, are, you know, are data hungry. They're a bit blinder, so they really want to get in the weeds of the data. Um, you know, so the horse I'm backing is in-house uh, programmatic, where, where smart data scientists want to get their hands on all of the data that is available, albeit it's limited. The other variable here, before, if you wanted to give a data science team all of the impression data of all of the bids, you know, for this week, it was terabytes of data. You'd have to hire an army of data scientists, as, as, as we have. And actually, one of the benefits in having a slightly dumber world with SKA, you know, that, that you can you can have you know one or two data scientists in a you know medium-sized gaming company that can derive lots of you know, lots of value from that data, create a campaign that can meet or beat a managed service offering elsewhere. So, and again, that, that that's uh, of course I'm biased, but you know these are my opinions that I've developed over many years. I want to I I want to kind of pause there for a second because i think that's it we've we've sort of taken a circuitous route to answering the first question which was how the ua team changes right and like nebo what do you think what do you think about what david just said because um you know i th i think there's been some sentiment post kind of june that like in-housing is dead like you know it's just gonna be impossible to to do um and i think you know with the kind of benefit and the clarity of of time passing that sentiment has sort of changed and it's become now more like well hey maybe it makes more sense than ever to in-house this because it is more manageable with an in-house team whereas before you needed to be a giant company to be able to justify this and now it's like well okay given the sort of reduction in scope and the sort of the change in the aperture of the of the data that we're getting maybe we could manage this in in-house and maybe you know the fact that like in in my sense is that like if this part of the, the ecosystem shrinks right and you've just got a handful of players but that are just kind of more uh you know e probably makes make products that are 
easier to work with and easier to onboard, but also that are maybe more trustworthy. Uh, you know, there have been some issues with, with fraud in this space very recently. Does that, does that change that calculus? Does that make it more appealing in-house? Yeah, so, so I have like quite a few things to, to follow up on here. Um, so, so when it comes to like using multiple DSPs, this is something I worked extensively on at MC. Basically, we used to buy from like 10 different DSPs and it, it was obvious that that didn't make sense. So we consolidated things, we moved things in-house and, and we kind of figured out like how to buy with multiple DSPs. And, and David is absolutely right. It's all about like, you know, different device graphs and understanding like which understanding which DSP can buy the most efficiently from like in each publisher. Like, so for example, you know, cross install might be better in like Solitaire and I don't know, like Moloko might be better in um, some like Candy Crush, whatever. So, so, you know, that's, that's something that, that, that is going away now because there are no device graphs anymore, which, which makes uh, the entire DSP um, kind of world a little bit more of a level playing field, which is why in-housing makes sense or, or makes more sense than before. Because without a device graph and without like collecting the suppression lists and uh, using them to kind of feed your algorithm, um, uh, basically DSPs don't have any kind of like competitive edge or their competitive edge, edge is not as big uh, as it used to be before, which you know might, might provide an opportunity for like guys like Dataseed and Beeswax. Um, in reality, this is like, it's not easy to build like an in-house DSP. I mean, like, you know, uh, I believe all three of us here know that pretty well. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if uh, like exchanges do a good job with like providing contextual signals and help us, you know, like understand where the users are coming from and understand who are the users that we are acquiring, we might be able to do a fairly good job. Um, my primary concern here is, uh, again, to echo something like David said before, is that you do get like source ID data, but I doubt you'll get that for every single publisher because the, 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 the amount of data that you'll get from small publishers will be, uh, will be you know, you, you'll get like a few installs, which means that Apple kind of reserves the right not to report the data, which kind of makes, uh, makes buying from like rest of network publishers and like doing publisher discovery really hard, it's impossible which uh, might mean that like in-housing will be used just for buying from like big publishers where you're like 100% sure that you'll get uh, all the install data from that publisher. So think about like high DAU apps, again, like Words with Friends, you know, maybe Candy Crush, I don't know what are they're showing ads anymore. Uh, so, so, you know, in-housing might make sense to do, to buy directly from publishers that you know are big enough and, and good enough for your, for your games. For any kind of discovery, rest of network stuff, it might be a little harder simply because Apple or SK Network won't report install data. And then, you know, it's going to be really, really hard to, to uh, make any decisions based, based on, on those buys. I, th um, I, think it's a, I think it's a great point, Nibir, if I might just comment on that. Isn't that really harsh on the small publishers? You know, you get, you're, you're, you're getting going, and, but no one's buying your ads uh, because Apple's decided you're too small therefore it's not anonymous enough you know and some sneaky ad tech company is going to track a user you know it, 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 it that, that's what we're talking about right though the, the longer yeah. tail the smaller pubs there's this anonymous value that apple's referred to but isn't this going to really hurt early stage you know gaming publishers yes so, so the thing is that's that's why i refer at the beginning of this uh, conversation like 2015 
it's like it was always like that. It just no one talked about it. It's basically <laughs> you would have like whitelist campaign where you target top or like you know top publishers, and then usually you would have like a rest of network campaign with like a super small bid, uh, you know, which would like you know midcore or like hardcore uh, gaming companies used to uh, do so-called whale trolling. So you expect to find one whale in every like ten thousand installs, and your primary kind of goal is just to like lower the CPI as much as possible. So it was always the case. And, you know, like it, it's really hard for small publishers simply because advertisers cannot make any decisions if you drive like four installs a month from a single, from a, from like a certain publisher. So, so, you know, it was always like that for them. And because it's an auction, it is like a winner takes all sort of setup. So basically the more kind of impressions and traffic you have, the easier it is to make decisions for that particular publisher. You can, slice and dice the data any way you want. You can buy, you know, iPhone 12 Pro users from Words with Friends and you cannot really do that from a small publisher. So, so you know, it's, it's unfair, but it's always been like that. Um, so, so I don't think that changes thing, things radically. It just makes, uh, maybe it's, it's more obvious now that we should kind of focus 100% on big publishers yeah. if we want to do like using house DSPs. Um, <laughs> I, I do agree with what you said, but there's, for me, there's still this unknown value because I think in Apple documentation, they refer to this as, as the uh, anonymous or, or anonymity uh, of value, excuse my pronunciation. Um, but I, you know, I think we're speculating, but correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't actually know what it is. Where I think we're all speculating, it's, got, it's going to have something to do with volume. You know, so if one publisher is driving so few installs, you probably know more about you know, that user than we should have known compared to if it was driving 100 installs, well, you don't really know which creative they clicked on. You know, so that, that's, um, is, is it the case? It's this, do we believe it's the size of the publisher, i.e. the number of impressions that Apple is seeing generate clicks? Remember, they don't see impressions. So Apple's judgment is going to be that publisher isn't driving many clicks or isn't driving many installs. Therefore, we're not going to include it in the, in the post back. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I spent some time investigating this um, pretty recently. Yeah, I think that if I remember correctly, that was true. And it was, it was also true for the conversion value as well. So they might scrub even for a, a, if you're not sending enough of any given conversion value, they might scrub it from postbacks. Even like, so you, let's say you have um, a big publisher driving lots of installs and you've got, they're driving like 10 of any single conversion value in a day or something. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They would scrub that from the post back because they didn't. They wanted to make that even less kind of directly attributable at the install level. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And it's aligned with me, but said so, and that potentially has a, a negative effect. Albeit they've, they've suffered it before. And Eric, so you you seem a subject matter expert on SKA, certainly more than uh, more, more more than most. But one of the questions that I think is unanswered, and and, and you may have an answer. Um, you know, lots of the advertisers that I speak to, are, you know, and the MMPs, you know, we all know the postback goes to the ad network or the DSP. Now, my clients will ask me to send that conversion data, um, you know, to, to, to Singular, to AppSlower and Adjust. Of course we will. We'll send it to their own BI. But what's on my mind is sharing that data with an MMP is only useful if Google and Facebook agree to share their SKA conversion data with that same yeah. Now, I've right. got a, a previous experience in this from attribution. The whole industry wanted multi-touch attribution, but multi-touch attribution is reliant on everyone, including Google and Facebook, having third-party impression trackers. Yeah. Google and Facebook wouldn't play ball. The industry did not have 
uh, you know, multi-touch attribution. So, it, uh, sorry, I know this is your podcast. So I'm asking you questions. But it's, no, no, feel free. That's a fascinating topic. Um, I, I believe that SKA conversion data going in the MMP is valuable, um, but it's only valuable if Facebook and Google agree to play ball. And yeah. I, in past experience, I'm skeptical as to whether they will. And I haven't heard anything uh, to confirm it or to or, or to deny it. Yeah, well, I was just scrolling through my Twitter feed just now because I posted about this. Um, looks like on October 30th, uh, Facebook had published a blog post on the 29th with a little bit of guidance. It wasn't um, too substantial, but they had kind of they had they had included this little bit at the end. Um, that makes me think that they're not fully committed <laughs> to the MMP relationship. So basically what they said was, uh, the sort of like headline was supporting advertisers who work with mobile measurement partners. And then the, the subtext was, we are partnering with mobile measurement partners to support interoperability of SK ad network through either Facebook or MMP SDKs. This work is ongoing and requires further testing. We will provide an update as the solution is finalized. That to me is kind of a hedge that implies that yeah we're not going to work with MMPs, but if for whatever reason we have to we're leaving that door a little open um now that's a little bit that's different what they were talking about was more just like whether the MMP can fire the update conversion method or whether facebook does but my sense is like that probably broadly applies to the way that they think about those relationships right like i had someone from an MMP saying like, oh yeah, we're working really closely with Facebook and they're going to build us API and we're going to have access to all this data. And then I spoke to some people at Facebook and they were like, yeah, we we're sort of like not really talking to the MMPs at all. And I just feel like it's, it's kind of sad because you just, at this point, there's been so much sort of misinformation published, I think like on purpose by a lot of these ad tech companies that you just can't trust anything anybody says. Um, and obviously there's a lot of people that work at Facebook. So maybe some people just don't know about any kind of initiative that's happening, but my sense is that like Facebook, my sense is that Facebook does not want to supply that data to the MMPs. They see it as like first party data, right? And um, they don't really see the MMPs as like central to the relationship between like the advertiser and the ad platform. Um, and they're, they're probably going to resist doing that uh, to whatever degree they can. Now, if someone comes in kicking and screaming and saying, you must send my data to an MMP, maybe they'll comply, but maybe they won't make it very easy for them to get the data or maybe they'll have it aggregated at a level that's not, you know, as, as um, convenient to work with. But my sense is that Facebook and Google don't want to really support that part of the industry. Um, and at, over a, a long enough time frame, neither do the advertisers. I mean, advertisers don't want to pay for that. Uh, so my sense is like that, that, that probably is not, <laughs> that's, the, that's kind of a loveless relationship um, that I don't think is going to be preserved for that long. What, what do you think, Nebo? Uh, I, I agree. I think uh, what, what happened with like VTA installs earlier uh, this year is kind of like, one it's potentially one way of how like Facebook can, Facebook will treat um, all the Facebook data in the future and they will just share aggregated uh, data with MMPs and what's going to happen is that MMPs will essentially turn into like data aggregators and they won't really do much uh, when it comes to attribution itself uh, they'll just be kind of like this uh, kind of uh, intermediary that that collects all the data from SK network Facebook Google like spend data and install data and, and shares that with uh, with advertisers but not at the user level um and exactly as you said like i don't think there there's much value there for advertisers which is why this space uh is going to change significantly in the upcoming uh, months and years and why potentially 
uh, they have to come up with the, all these like interesting stories and like to tell us how they're really working really closely with Facebook because you know that's their way to justify their value. Um, and and in reality, you know, they they might not be able to because because you know what they're doing is going to be much smaller uh, or much well, less important. Um, I would I would flip the question to to you, David, because you basically started the first MMP. And what do you think? What how, how does Facebook feel about these companies? Uh, I, I remember having the first discussions with Facebook uh, as as the first SRN in 2012, and they you know we, we you know we were a small startup at the time, and you know they, they, this is when they came to us and, and said right you've got to send us all app installs. We're like what all IDFAs? Yeah and, and yeah and and then they replied to us and say that was ours. So it was the first time there was a gorilla in the industry saying give us all the data. We're going to mark our own home homework and send it back uh, you know to to a, to a dashboard. Um, you know, no, no attributions actually done. Um, at the time, we're like, what the hell? And it was pretty much our way or the highway. Now, unfortunately, we agreed. We were the first two MMPs, and then that becomes standard for the SRN. Then Twitter followed suit, and you know that then is what has created these eight SRNs. But I, that is the value of an MMP to these SRNs, including Facebook and Google, in the past. They could do their own attribution. That's that's what they wanted, but they saw an opportunity of the MMPs as a way to gather huge amounts of data. I mean, if you're working, you know, with, with ten advertisers, you'd receive ten advertisers install base. You know, so the the what, what we created with AdX is the first version of SRN MMP integration. Unfortunately, created a world that I think Apple objected to the most about IDFA. And that the billions of IDFAs were sent to thousands of, you know, thousands of capitalists, much like us, but you know, thousands of these ad tech companies to make billions of dollars through advertising. I mean, that's Apple's biggest issue, and I think that's the biggest issue with the IDFA. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's a a good track record in these big platforms, the SRNs, you know, playing ball with the MMPs for the benefit of the industry. There's there's, there's no track record on that. They play ball with the MMPs when it suits their purpose. You know, previously with IDFA, that purpose was gathering as much data as possible to make billions of dollars from advertising revenue. So th there has to be a benefit to the SRNs in sharing that data uh, with the MMP. And I, I can't see it other than the advertiser saying, we really don't want to have to log in to Facebook and Google and log into all these platforms and you know, pull the numbers out and stick it in a spreadsheet. Um, but I don't see why that's beneficial to, to them. I mean, I think they want their users as logged into their platform as, yeah, as a consumer or as a business buyer as much as possible. Um, so for me, it's watch, watch this space. I mean, I think the majority of ad networks and DSPs will say, sure, we'll send this data anywhere that you want. But I know from past experience, unless the majority of the volume, which comes from Facebook and Google, also comply, then it's not it's not very beneficial. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for leadership to come from Facebook on, on six bit value. I'm looking for some leadership, you know, to hopefully or announcements come from Facebook and Google, um, you know, on whether they're going to share SKA conversion data. And if, if you go back to your first question, you know, how does, you know, the teams look like in 2021? Well, th these are all the, you know, these are all the topics that need to get hashed out over the coming weeks and months to, you know, to, to even really start putting your stakes into 2021. Is, is it weird that we've literally heard nothing from Google on this subject? Yeah, really weird. It's bizarre. <laughs> I mean, at least Facebook has said, yeah, we don't have any guidance, but we we acknowledge that this is happening. I feel like Google has not even acknowledged 
that this is happening. I don't want to draw any more parallels to the election, but I feel like this is a, there's, there's just Google is just, they've not said anything. Is it, am I wrong, Nebo? Am I, am I missing this announcement? Is this uh, VIPs only or have they said absolutely nothing about SKI network and iOS 14? Yeah, no, no, not really. I mean, uh, I, I know for like a fact, they're also testing like PRS with a bunch of like, they're doing some work on PRS. So I don't think they're, they're really planning to like, uh, you know, uh, stop working on that one either. Uh, I think Google is just slow. Um, just there, it takes them forever to like react to these things. Uh, iOS was probably like, you know, 30 or like only 30% of their overall revenue, but still that's like a fairly big chunk. Um, and another thing that I wanted to bring up like earlier is that Google was set up for these like slow, like like for these slow feedback loops initially, like UAC at least. So it kind of doesn't change things for them significantly as long as they receive like install and convert some conversion value data. But, uh, but yeah, generally I haven't really heard much from Google. There was that one generic like press release and that was all um, yeah. that, that I've heard uh, so far. Well, I think so my, my sense of why they've been slow to address this is like part of it is just uh, it, it's, it's, there's a, an opportunity that's just kind of completely shut down for them, which is YouTube view through, right? Um, and what do you say? What do you say about that? Like, there's no workaround. Like, that's not that's not a matter of just hey, we've got to retool the infrastructure. That's gone forever because YouTube doesn't exist anymore. Um, and so, I think maybe maybe one of the problems is like we have no solution to that. We have no we have nothing to tell people. Like that's just gone. And then also part of it's probably like, well, what if the advertisers are really happy that that's gone, right? Um, that's that's a problem for them optically. If every advertiser is like oh, you mean that placement that you decided we needed because um, you, because you got to claim conversions uh, when people just viewed the ad, that's going away? Uh, well, you know, no one's going to, no, no one's going to organize a funeral for that, right? I think people are probably going to be mostly happy, um, but it's, it's, it's a painful thing for Google to lose. I don't know. What, what do you think, David? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, you know, you know, making a, a really important point as to where Google will fill the pain. And and I think you're, you're right. That's because none of us, you know, it's a bit of a black box. None of us really know. You don't get the transparent data that actually these installs that were attributed were, you know, 70% of them were from YouTube view through. There was no click. You know, you, you just don't get that granularity. So there's a bit of dirty laundry or, or bad news that might come from this. You know, once that is taken away, well, you'll see the drop off, right? You know, if 70% was coming from YouTube view through, well, you'll find out as soon as the, as soon as the, the switch is flipped, so to say. Um, but I, I also, so you'll, you'll find out, but I can also hear that detect from your, your narrative that you're skeptical. So, so coming from attribution background, I actually see value in, in, in impressions and views and not just clicks. I actually think the last click, you know, is bullshit. We're zooming in on two smaller, a smaller event. So, uh, so I, I personally, I think videos on, on YouTube are effective. Um, I, it, it, do they get too much? Do they get too much credit because Google's an SRN? Well, yeah, I, I also believe they do get too much credit, which is why the whole industry wanted multi-touch attribution that an advertiser can be in charge of. So, I mean, yes, so, so much of this is, is going to change and it'll actually bring rise to maybe other solutions from MMPs or other new startups, which is incrementality measurement. Because let's say your view through of YouTube is gone. Well, 
you might still actually you might still drive performance, but it's not going to be measured in the same way. So you know, incrementality measurement, um, I think, becomes a, a very big deal for uh, yeah, no, for for sure. I mean, one hundred percent. I don't mean to. I don't mean to sound almost like uh, conspiratorial here. Like I think that view through has value, right? I don't. Uh, now, I would say that the 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 problem there is the self attributing aspect of that. It's not necessarily that YouTube was serving, and well, and the black box nature of it, right? Because I didn't get to choose what went into YouTube, right? I didn't get to choose that, and then you didn't tell me uh, what got claimed there, right? So it's pretty much hidden from me. Um, and you get to claim it, you know, uh, just because uh, you're Google and and that um, there might have been another uh, ad that was shown to that same user that they clicked on and they installed. And I don't get to discern between this, the sort of true source of that revenue. That's that's my problem. It was a lack of transparency. And, 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 and I think this leads to a net positive, right? You, you know, so, so actually moved by Apple could force Google to be more transparent. You know, it's not measurable. So, so it goes away in, in Q1. Well, there's a bunch of demand out there that is actually going to say, well, actually, we do value it, but mm -hmm. we're going to have to create another campaign and do some incrementality lift analysis. And so for the first time, you know, a bunch of advertisers out there might actually be able to measure, you know, incrementality of, of, of just views on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So, yep. you know, it, it's forced transparency that they would not, wouldn't have otherwise have done. So that's one of the positive potential implications from all of this. David, I wanted to talk to you about the, the DSP space and, you know, in housing. What do you think the opportunities here? Because I feel like part of the issue within housing was that, you know, you, 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 you try to, you know, first of all, there's just a data, there's a, there's a data uh, requirement, right? That's substantial and that, that requires investment, right? You just need to, you need to aggregate that data. Um, and going contextual was always possible, but it, it feels like from a, from a standing position, right? From a cold start, going contextual just wasn't viable right what is there like an opportunity now like and if we think about this kind of like the the concept that i was talking about before we're like maybe the market's shrinking but there's also gonna be like a ton of shakeout in the participants right and the people that just had kind of commodity tech and device lists are probably gonna just die right there's there's probably no future for that model um is there like an opportunity here to be like the robin hood of in-housing like just to make it so dead simple and easy to start up that, you know, people see true value in that? Or is that, is there no, there's no way to kind of get there? No, there is, and it's a good question. Also, no, Neva has experience in housing. I think you've used beeswax or other platforms in the past. And I think everyone that has had experience in gaming, in-house programmatic UA in the past on iOS, the feedback has always been, it doesn't work very well. And then you can, and then you ask the company, well, well, why? Compared against what? And they would always compare against this ad network, this SRN, that are all behavioural-based bidding. So, so what's changed is the status quo. It's not that contextual's got any better. It's just the behavioural is being removed. So when you consider that level playing field, everyone, you, you know, can compete on a contextual uh, basis. That, that, that's where the opportunity is. So then. It doesn't mean the contextual is any more simple. It hasn't got better. It hasn't become simpler. So, you know, where the, you know, where, where the challenges lie is actually, you know, how do you build and train contextual machine learning models that predicts an outcome? The outcome we're trying to predict is, well, will this impression lead to an install? Now, with SKA, it makes that a lot harder. And actually, the harder is also it's become a lot simpler. So. Um, I, I have competitors that will just, you know, say, here's a bidder, good luck, make it work. That doesn't work. Um, the only way that you can make contextual work is with some 
machine learning managed service, and, and that's what we offer. Now, if, if some of the top tier of gaming companies will have a huge data science team that can build their own prediction algorithms, but that isn't for the medium and long tail. So um, I think, you know, whether it's with us or, you know, or, or, or with other providers, um, you know, getting complete transparency as to where your ads are running, um, you know, how you use the integer value. So when you get a conversion back from Apple, you know that it was, you know, it, it was that vast landscape rewarded video on this publisher. That's awesome. You do need uh, assistance in a managed, uh, machine learning managed service. And, and that's what we offer. Um, alternatively, though, and we mentioned it early on, you know, does part of a DSP involve doing direct deals? I think I see that evolving as well. And they'll, so there'll, there'll be an evolving part of an in-house DSP uh, that uh, clients can take on entirely as themselves, and there'll be other parts around machine learning that I think they will still get a managed service, you know, from from the provider of that software. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll leave it there. This isn't just a this isn't just a sales pitch. But I'm sure Nebo's got some good experience in this. I know he's, he's tried many different providers in the past. Well, Nebo, I'd ask you. Um, you know, I wrote an article about this. I don't know a while ago um, about why it's difficult to to in-house programmatic uh what's your experience I and mean, why is it hard i mean it basically requires a pretty big team and lots of data um if you're just working with a plain bidder uh that just lets you kind of uh you know plug into exchanges and buy from them like it's likely you'll fail so the reason why it's like there is a lot a lot of things going on. Like there's a lot of devices that would, they will never click on your ad. There's a lot of devices that will absolutely never install any, any app. And if you're not able, and there's a lot of fraud. So uh, if you're not able to filter those out, it's likely that you fail because, you know, you'll simply buy a lot of traffic that is not qualified traffic. And that basically you'll waste money by, you know, you'll waste like, you know, 50 or 60% of all the, uh, you know, all the, all the money on, on those devices and those use or those impressions. Um, and, and, and it's really hard to kind of, because it's, it, it's really hard to find there are no providers who can sell the data or help you out, uh, help you succeed faster. So you kind of have to build it, you know, yourself. And, and, and that's why it's much easier if you're like a, you know, machine zone or Zynga, or I don't know, um, uh, like Merca, uh, to, to acquire a DSP, then to build it from scratch because they already have, you know, third-party device graph that they can leverage to kind of filter out those devices and help you, you know, improve efficiency by, by just letting you bit smarter. Um, then, then it's also, people don't understand how, how hard it is to, um, uh, to, to build creative for an in-house DSP, because that's not like just building a video and uploading it to like your, you know, uh, a Facebook. It's basically building a technical creative, uh, which means that you need to build the player. You need to build like to figure out, you know, uh, what's the behavior of that player. You need to build like a logic for the close button. When does it appear? Uh, you know, in which corner? Uh, what's the color of that button? What's the impact of the color of that button on the click-through rate? Things like that. There's like a lot of technical intricacies that are that you know just don't exist when it comes to buying on like Facebook or Google. So that's why you 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 know most like developers who like uh, uh, kind of venture in, in, in these waters uh, learn that they need like a significantly bigger team and it, it's just cheaper to to like work with a third party DSP. 
Um, and, and, and like our kind of conclusion back at MZ was that that's fine as long as you don't work on a CPI basis, if you want to work with a third party DSP and you like agree to some sort of a CPM plus deal where you have full transparency and how much you're paying for like each impression and they just help you buy more, uh, buy like in a smarter way. Uh, and if you, if you still want to decide to go the in-house route, then you kind of have to build a bigger theme like, you know, that's packed with like data scientists who are going to build models, you know, help you understand what types of traffic um, are never going to kind of convert uh, or not like qualified users. So you can kind of filter out as much as of the waste um, as early as possible and, and kind of like uh, try to succeed that way. Um, that, that, does it make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's more or less aligned with what I wrote. Um, David, are you on board with that? Does that seem no, familiar? No, I am. There's several things that I agree, particularly the complexity. You know, have, you know, having been through this the last, last two years, the complexity of building a DSP and actually running campaigns and making them work, it, it's, it is incredibly complex. It's not just, right, I want to buy that publisher, make it work. There's all sorts of, you know, understanding the supply side, you know, and, and how actually inventory is tiered. You can have one publisher that is sending you inventory at 10 different bid floors. You know, and you're like, oh, well, I'll just set a CPM and I'll buy here. What you can discover over time is that buying here at a low CPM, you're getting session depth 100 plus, which is people that have been in the game, you know, for the last two hours and they've seen a thousand ads. You know, so actually understanding this complexity that actually if I, if I bid higher and get those earlier session depths, you know, the, the IPMs and conversion values are, are far higher. So these are the types of complexities that Nebo is referring to. You, you know, you, it's not just, you know, turn it on, put your budget in like you do with Facebook, you know, and, you know, and hope it works. And usually it does. You need to understand these intricacies. And this is how, uh, although I, you know, I absolutely can't question Nebo or, or yours experience, but this is the problem we're trying to address. We're trying to make it easy for the machine learning, the data science part, which is the hard part, to be clear. We're trying to make that easy. If we can make that easy, our addressable market goes from the top 2%, you know, that want in-house but haven't bid one, to actually it's, you know, it's all of the medium tail as well. So, you know, our, our objective is to make, this sounds like a contradiction in terms, to make machine learning, uh, you know, for app install, iOS UA, to make that easy. Um, now, you can only make it easy if you understand how, you know, I think difficult it is, and it is incredibly difficult, as um, as as Nebo has uh, alluded to. But th th those are the problems that we're trying to address because it is a level playing field, and you're either going to carry on just buying, you know, from them in the same challenging, slightly dumber way, um, or you can do it yourself in house. Um, now, all of the results that we're seeing and, and, and the performance we're driving, you know, it does mean that we can meet or beat the performance that they're driving elsewhere. Um, the, you know, the decision as to how many people adopt this then just come down to how big a team do you need around it? You know, so the easier you can do it, we can make it more OPEX friendly. So you don't need an army of 10 data scientists. But do you need a data lead? Absolutely, you do. You know, you need a call, you know, UA managers, you know, as opposed to people that are just usually dealing with just, you know, just with Facebook or just with Google. Absolutely. Mm. You know, well, I think that's my, that's kind of my question. Like, is, is, is that the Robin Hood? Like, is that the Robin Hood approach to this, right? Versus like, oh, you know, like of the Bloomberg terminal uh, versus like the Robin Hood app to buy stocks. Is it like, wh what does that look like? Is that one, it's a data lead who's managing the aggregation of the data, like basically manage the data pipeline and then who, and then who else is needed? Like who else is needed in that team configuration? Yeah, right. So, so and, and Nebo alluded to this as, as well. 
creative is a massive part of it, right? So, 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 and and you know, as a bidder, we're not offering you know a dynamic creative optimizations, but I hundred percent believe that you know big parts of internal teams will involve their own. Uh, you know, creative teams. What you want to be able to do is take, you know, re you know, regenerate creatives with different ideas, put them into your bidder, run creative tests. It's one of the ways we're going to use the integer. We're going to be leaving eight integers just to run daily or weekly creative tests that see the front runners and then push them up, um, you know, to, to those live campaigns. Um, so I believe you, you need a technical, uh, uh, a, more, a, a more technical UA manager. We need a data lead and there needs to be an internal, um, you know, creative team that is generating creatives. Of course, you can get those you know, generating creatives, you know, you know, from third parties as well. You know, Luna Labs is a great, um, you know, startup that's creating, you know, lots of playable creatives and lots of video creatives. So I'm not saying there needs to be an army of, you know, of, you know, of, of creative people. You know, you, you can still use technology to do it. But creative, data lead, UA manager, really, I see it's a, a team, a team of three, um, can run programmatic UA in-house, as well as there's capacity for them to be doing other things as well. That That's my experience working with the gaming companies that I currently work with. I want to kind of, in the last sort of bit we have here, I want to sort of um, touch on something that David, uh, that David said earlier in the conversation and, and kind of bring that um, into a discussion around, you know, how, how does, how do all these changes and, and we're talking about like in the UA the next six to 18 months, right? How, how are all these changes going to affect actually what kind of products get built? And we can kind of start just from the mobile gaming um, segment and, and maybe fan outwards if, if we need to. But like, it, you know, David's point was that like, look, when you move to a contextual world, there's just going to just by definition, there's going to be more waste, right? Because you, you have to burn more impressions um, in, in order to get. Uh, you know, in order to get sort of like that 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 feedback signal because you're not getting it from at the at the user level. So does that just mean that it becomes non-viable? And I've I've written a bunch about this. In my my opinion, I think. Um, well, you know, I, I'll yeah, I'm, I'm here to hear from you YouTube, but um, does that just mean that people make different stuff? Like they they make different apps that kind of lean into this new paradigm that doesn't allow you to make a game that generates you know whatever. Uh, 10 million 50 million in a year with 50k dau right is that are we moving into a world, a world where you've got to make big broadly appealing games in order to achieve any sort of advertising efficiency uh, I'll, I'll start uh i think you're absolutely right on that um we might want to optimize for more and more signals uh which means that having games that have like very uh, don't have like a like high install volume uh, might be might not make sense simply because you know us let let's just use the same example we used before. If you have like a publisher that's driving a hundred installs for like hyper casual game and it's driving like two installs for like you know a hardcore game, uh, it's likely that you might not get any information about that publisher if you are a hardcore game publisher. And then what might um, what might this lead to is that you know uh, developers just like start focusing on more more kind of casual and and kind of broader appeal apps that that you know uh, that have much higher IPMs and as a result drive like more install volume, which makes optimizing for like different types of events and, and generally like you know make make doing UA much um, uh, much much easier. Um, I also think this might change for like some of the mid-core to hardcore games. 
they might change the way they build those and they might partner up with more IP and might try to kind of broaden their appeal by just trying to kind of uh, going through all these kind of interesting uh, exercises like, you know, adding IP, working with celebrities, something that machines did like in 2013, 14, just to try to kind of improve their kind of install volume and, and, and drive as many users to games as possible. Um, and this might, in theory, uh, this might be like a long shot, but this might make kind of cross-platform more interesting too, because you kind of want to explore different funnels and, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, web-based gaming becomes a thing. Uh, I doubt, but, you know, uh, just like an interesting thought exercise. Um, so yeah, that's my take. Sure. Um, I'll add to what I said. There's been lots of talk about hyper-casual, you know, the negative effects on this. And, and But I think there are some negatives, there are some positives you know, towards hyper-casual. I, I think anyone that is monetizing 100% through through ads, you know, should be concerned and, you know, and to, you know, keeping an eye on, on, on the future and what's happening. And I, I think a fair prediction is eCPMs will drop, certainly for the short to medium term. I think there's a load of demand if you just look at Facebook audience network retreating from iOS. There's definitely going to be a demand drop. Um, you know, so arguably that can be damaging to hypercasual 100% monetization, small margins. However, IDFV has actually meant there's a bunch of top co-gaming companies out there. They've got war chests at the moment trying to build up their DAO and their Mal of, of, of games of unique users that are on the same IDFV. You know, so if, you know, I don't run a hyper-casual studio, but if, if I were, there'd be a, a negative that, holy shit, uh, you know, am I going to be even break even next month if I was this month? Uh, but the, the other thing, well, there's a bunch of, you know, unicorns out there with war chests that are interested in my DAO. So I think, you know, I think the likelihood of acquisition has gone up, but I think, you know, likelihood of being profitable uh, next year has probably gone down. That's... Um, that's, that, that's one of the kind of changes that you, know, you alluded to looking at gaming. Um, other kind of areas of opportunity that, that you, you, you kind of suggested, Eric, I think, you know, I think the, the MMPs have got to get, you know, Google and Facebook's playbook, you know, build value around, you know, you know, data dashboards. I think they'd be foolish not to start looking at incrementality. There's a couple of smart startups out there now that have just gone, this is the opportunity for, for incrementality measurement. Last click's gone. You know, SKA is not great, you know, just measuring a broad level of base over lift. I think that's an area to look at for sure. Um, and then everything that's, you know, kind of in my area, um, which is contextual. Um, and then smart ways to use the six bit value and smart ways to use the integer. I think, so, you know, so whenever there's change, there's opportunities. And it's, you know, it's, it's usually, you know, through discussions like this that you highlight the opportunities. And, you know, that's, but I, I, I think there's plenty out there. I think this has been a massive shakeup and, you know, generally, probably net negative on the whole of the industry but what will happen from it it will shake up we'll find new equilibriums and there'll be new opportunities and um yeah we'll, we'll, we'll make it work have you seen any startups uh forming around um conversion value management i haven't um no i no i i haven't i think the best people suited for that are the mmps um yeah. and first of all i think it'll be dictated by facebook i i, I yeah. do whether they're holding back, I think we're, the whole industry is better off standardizing in one foot. As soon as it's standardized, yeah. there's not much value that can be added to, you know, values usually around tweaking and changing and customizing. So I think they'll just be, you know, I think they'll end up being a, a standard for retail, a standard for gaming, mm, yeah. just a standard. Um, I think there is, there is 
work to be done on customizing the integer. But, you know, that isn't a startup in itself because each yeah. ad network will be having their own standard. But we, we, we are investing uh, time uh, you know, in, in tools to customize the integer. Um, but the, the, the MMPs, I think, should sort out the, um, the, the conversion, the six-bit conversion value. Mm. David, Nebo, thank you very much for the uh, stimulating conversation here. Uh, as we uh, kind of close off, um, how can we? How can people reach uh, either of you? How can they find you? How can they uh, follow you, uh, Nebo? Where Where are you located uh, on the internet? Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the best thing is to add me on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, just search by my name uh, or Twitter. My Twitter is like twitter.com/eniac. E N I A C. It's my old like hacker handle. Um, <laughs> it's not so relevant anymore, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Cool. And um, and, and me, uh, datasheet.com. Um, yeah, please, if anyone wants to speak to us, please speak to us there. Uh, you'll also see my name on the website. I'm on LinkedIn. My surname's spelled a bit weird, uh, but please uh, look me up, add me to LinkedIn, go to our website. We'd love to talk to anyone that wants to talk in house programmatic. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Neva. Cheers. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.